0: Hi, I'm Mark O'Connell, and you're listening to Far Fetched, a podcast about my largely unpaid but mostly enjoyable career as a writer. Now, in the last couple of episodes of Far Fetched, I've been reading from the Star Trek The Next Generation Writer's Director's Guide. This was a huge document that I got from Paramount Pictures when I was first invited in back in the early 1990s to pitch stories for Star Trek The Next Generation. Last two episodes, I've gotten through pretty much the first two-thirds of the, of the guide, which leaves us about a third left. I know it may seem as though I'm just reading from a textbook, and I guess in a way I am. It's not the most exciting or dynamic kind of podcast you can do. But I think what makes this unique is that on the very first page, we see the author's name, The author of the Writer's Director's Guide is a guy named Gene Roddenberry, who you may have heard of, the great bird of the galaxy, the inventor of Star Trek, the visionary who created the world of Star Trek. And for me, it's a whole lot of fun to be reading this document, this very lengthy, very detailed, very spirited document about how Gene Roddenberry wanted to depict the future. I think it's kind of fun. So, without any further ado, we're going to get back to the Star Trek The Next Generation Writer's Director's Guide. Again, written by Gene Roddenberry, copyright 1989. This was the basically the show bible for the third season of Star Trek The Next Generation. So here goes. The next section in the guide is called Star Trek Terminology. And this was kind of fun for me to reread because it's basically, this is basically the section that says, this is how shit works in the 24th century. This is how it all works. So pay attention. You'll learn a few things. First off, Star Trek terminology, aliens and humanoids. Alien means not human, Gene Roddenberry writes. An alien being is any intelligent life form not native to Earth. Humanoid in our series means a life form which is similar to humans. Two legs, arms, head, etc. In the past, we have met humanoid aliens such as Klingons, Vulcans, and Romulans. Next definition, away teams, also known as landing parties. No longer does a Starfleet captain lead the way down to dangerous planets. A captain's knowledge and experience is properly considered too valuable to be risked like that. Away teams, whether landing on planets or other vessels are made up of mission experts usually selected and led by the First Officer. A First Officer takes considerable pride in the fact that he protects the ship captain in this fashion. Clothing Much less military looking than in the recent Star Trek films. Since 24th century technology centers on enhancing quality of life, clothing will be comfortable as well as attractive. Away teams wear costumes appropriate to their missions, which may include anything from clothing worn by inhabitants of the planet being visited, or special protective gear required by the mission. Usually, away teams wear a simple, all-purpose outfit. Communicator The Communicator is now worn as part of the familiar Starfleet insignia. In addition to providing communications as before, its monitoring functions remain in full operation constantly, allowing the Starship Command officers to monitor the safety and progress of a landing team at all times. Although this creates some additional difficulty in maneuvering our people into danger, Story Believability demands that our 24th century technology be at least as capable as 20th century technology in this area. Perhaps not such a difficulty if one realizes that 24th century villains are no doubt capable of technological countermeasures. Next up, communications procedures. One, on the bridge. No one on the bridge needs to touch anything in order to be patched into communications. A slight upward glance followed by the speaker giving his or her name and the person they wish to speak with is all that's necessary, i.e., Picard to engineering. As long as a person is on the bridge, they can talk to anyone on the Enterprise, or another ship, or on a planet, without touching a thing. 2. Elsewhere on the Enterprise If one wishes to communicate with anyone else on board ship or on another vessel or planet, they would touch a nearby comm panel and then give their name and the name of the person they wish to speak with, i.e. Riker to Dr. Crusher. If one wishes to communicate with anyone else on board ship, or on another vessel or planet, they would touch a nearby comm panel and then give their name and the name of the person they wish to speak with, i.e. Riker to Dr. Crusher. If a comm panel is not convenient, a crew member should touch his-her insignia and respond as described above. Number 3. Communication while on planets or on board other vessels Communications number three, while on planets or on board other vessels. Whenever a crew member is off the Enterprise, the person simply touches the face of the insignia, there is a confirming beep, and asks for the person with whom he wishes to speak. Enterprise, this is Riker, or get me Geordie. Note, to activate a comp panel or personal communicator, all one need do is touch it one time prior to speaking. They do not need to hold a finger on their communicator while speaking one touch is sufficient. They can, however, receive a communication without touching anything. Consoles are programmable workstations. The Starship's workstations look like flat black panels until they are activated. Then they light up and become interactive display screens with custom keyboards as well. A crew member simply touches the part of the display that has been programmed to be the keyboard. This allows any crew member to work at any console with a high degree of familiarity. Deflector shields protect the vessel. A very powerful set of protective force fields, also called shields, that protect the Enterprise from attack. See shields. So there'll be more on that coming up. Dilithium crystals control the mix of matter and antimatter. I'm sorry, I can't say dilithium crystals without speaking in a stupid Scottish accent. Dilithium crystals. As in the past, the powerful energies of the ship's engines are channeled or metered, through dilithium crystals, which permit molecular level control. However, unlike the past, we now know how to recrystallize dilithium and are far less likely to experience significant problems with the ship's crystals. Earth in the 24th century is a paradise. We have established that most, if not all, of the major problems facing the human species have been resolved, and the Earth has since been transformed into a human paradise, with large protected wilderness areas, grand parks, beautiful cities, and a literate and compassionate population that has learned to appreciate life as a grand adventure. The Federation is an alliance of many planets. The Federation is not a human-only alliance. Many worlds, human and otherwise, have joined together to form a federation of mutual benefits and services. Starfleet vessels serve all the worlds of the Federation, not simply Earth. By the time of the 24th century, there are as many alien worlds in the Federation as humanoid ones. Quite recently, for example, Klingons joined the Federation, and we have begun to see Klingon officers such as Worf in Starfleet. The Ferengi. The Ferengi Alliance is made up of a number of planetary systems with a centralized government. They are intergalactic wheeler dealers whose main motivation in their planetary contacts is profit. In the Ferengi hierarchy, there are many levels of importance, status, and job requirement based on a caste system revolving around profits. Who's got them, who gets them, and who gets to keep them. No Ferengi would ever miss an opportunity to work both sides of the deal against the middle. When selling arms to one planetary faction, the Ferengi use that toehold to offer the same at slightly greater cost, of course, to the other side. A skilled negotiator is more valuable to the Ferengi than any great general, Operating on the Principle 5, will get you 10. Armed conflict is only counseled where the advantage is such that victory and greater profits are a virtual guarantee. In appearance, they are quite short, dark, highly energetic humanoids with exceedingly large ears, providing ultra-sensitive hearing, although they have poor vision. Food and drink comes from the ubiquitous wall slots. Food and drink aboard the Enterprise are instantaneously synthesized by an in-ship system that takes the necessary raw materials from storage and rearranges them into whatever the individual has ordered. It is usually delivered in the food slots we see in individual cabins and living areas, as well as in recreation and meeting rooms. There are also food slots on the bridge itself. Force fields are invisible walls of energy. The force field is one of the basic tools of the 24th century technology. The manipulation of energy fields is so sophisticated that it is possible to build walls of pure energy. These are called force fields. We use manipulative force fields as tractor beams, as deflector shields, as a protective landing envelope for the away teams, and as shielding for our matter antimatter engines. Impulse power is for slower than light travel. The impulse engines are contained at the rear of the saucer section and the centerline of the dorsal and are primarily used for maneuvering at sublight speeds. For instance, we would use impulse power to establish an orbit, to break out of an orbit, to travel from one planet to another within the same star system, or to approach another ship or a space station. Because it is slower than light, the impulse engines are inappropriate for travel from one star to another. The distances between the stars are simply too vast. The main viewer is the front window of the bridge. The ship's main viewer is much larger than we saw in the original series. It is a large wall-sized holographic viewer, which dominates the whole forward half of the bridge. Generally, the main viewer acts as the front window of the Enterprise, but the viewing angle can be changed to whatever the ship's commander wants. We will also use it to view the activities of away teams and for direct communication with other ships or planet installations. Measurements are metric. Boo! The Star Trek universe is metric. We do not have miles and feet and quarts. We have kilometers, meters, and liters. Time is still measured in hours, minutes, and seconds. For measurements of distance between stars, we use light years. A light year is the distance that light travels in one year. We also use parsecs. A parsec is 3.26 light years. The Prime Directive prohibits meddling with other planets or civilizations. Starfleet General Order No. 1 says that, and here it's underlined, we do not have the right to interfere with the natural process of evolution on any planet or with the culture there. Any captain who does find it necessary to violate the Prime Directive had better be ready to present a sound defense of his actions, or hers. Romulans The Romulans are a branch of the Vulcan race that did not eventually turn toward logical peacefulness, as Mr. Spock's ancestors did. They share the same high intelligence as Vulcans, but have remained warriors, their mental powers making them even more dangerous than the Klingons. The Klingons are brutish. The Romulans are satanic, capable of their own kind of refined culture. I find it very interesting that Mr. Roddenberry calls the Romulans satanic. I never would have thought of that, but it sure fits. The saucer section is detachable from the battle section. The saucer part of the Enterprise contains the main cargo bay, residential decks, and the main bridge. While it has its own impulse engines, it does not have warp drive capability. The battle section contains the engineering section, secondary cargo bays, and the two nacelles containing the warp drive engines. The battle section has impulse engines as well as warp drive capability. It also has its own battle bridge, to which the ship's command officers evacuate in time of battle. The saucer section is then detached and the battle section is ready for action. Sensors allow us to scan ships and planets. The Starship Enterprise is equipped with state-of-the-art scanning and detection devices. Rather than go into vast detail about how these work, we refer to them generally as sensors. We can scan a planet or a ship for lifeform readings or almost anything else we're looking for. The computer or the science officer may remark that sensors report or sensors detect, etc. Sensors emanate from the sensor strips around the ship's perimeter. Shields protect the Enterprise. Although we are primarily a non-military mission, the Enterprise may occasionally find itself in military situations. To that end, we have considerable defensive power on the ship, including a very powerful set of protective force fields called deflectors and shields. These can be imagined as a great invisible bubble of energy. The Enterprise is able to put up several concentric shields or bubbles at a time. Whenever the vessel takes a direct hit, the outermost shield loses some of its power, i.e., the shield is damaged or disabled. Captain, two of our shields are down. When the last shield is gone, the ship is totally vulnerable. I have to say, just rereading this before I started recording, this section of the guide was the biggest surprise to me. I, I never knew, or maybe, well, I must have known way back then when I was pitching to Next Generation, because you're supposed to know all this stuff. So I either knew and forgot or I or I never knew that the Enterprise put up concentric bubbles around itself and enemies would have to work their way through several levels of, of, of deflector shields to get at the ship. I did not know this, and I think that's very a very cool visual. I also think it's weird, though, that, to my recollection, the shields were never actually depicted that way in any episode of Next Generation. If anybody knows different, please let me know, but I think it's kind of weird that they, this is mentioned in the guide and I don't think it ever, ever came up in any of the shows. Anyway, to continue, shields are raised with any of several commands. Shields up, or even simply shields. Conversely, shields off, or shields down. Under normal conditions, we will always have navigational shields operative. These are deflector shields which sweep out far ahead of the vessel's path through space, deflecting from the ship's course anything from stray hydrogen atoms, which could cause considerable damage at warp speeds, to full-size meteorites and asteroids and other space debris. These shields are all automatically controlled by the ship's computer. Whenever the power of the shield is increased, there is a commensurate loss in ship's power, Maximum shielding can be maintained only for a limited time. Shuttlecraft are also available. A shuttlecraft is a small, limited-purpose spacecraft generally used when the transporter beam is inappropriate or unavailable. It can carry up to 10 people from the Enterprise down to the surface of the planet and back again. The shuttlecraft are docked in one of two shuttlecraft hangars of the ship. The entrances to these hangars can be seen at the top rear of the saucer and at the upper rear area of the dorsal. Star bases. Because the total area of Earth-explored space is so vast, Starfleet has established a network of star bases throughout the explored part of the galaxy to monitor and direct the operations of its starships. Star bases exist as needed. Some are on planets, others are deep space stations. Starships, like the Enterprise, will often rendezvous with the nearest star base to pick up or discharge personnel. Starfleet. Starfleet. The Enterprise is a Starfleet vessel. It operates under the aegis of the United Federation of Planets. Starfleet is not primarily a military organization. Although the duties of the Enterprise may include some military responsibilities, the primary purpose of the Enterprise, as with all Starfleet vessels, is to expand the body of human knowledge. In practice, this means that our armaments and militarism have been de-emphasized over the previous series and very much de-emphasized over the movies. We will not see saluting. We may hear the word, sir, but it is extended as the same kind of courtesy used by junior and senior officers on civilian airlines. It is traditional, however, to use ships' ranks on the bridge, an acknowledgment of the naval heritage of Starfleet. Subspace radio channels allow faster-than-light communications. Ordinary radio waves travel at the speed of light. This is too slow for our purposes. At light speed, messages between a ship and a starbase would take years. Fortunately, we have subspace radio, which operates through another dimension of space. Subspace radio waves allow us near-instantaneous contact with a starbase when we are within a few dozen light years. Beyond that, subspace messages take several hours or days. For the most part, subspace contact with the nearest starbase is advisory. A starship captain has the authority to implement Starfleet policy for himself, his crew, and his ship as he deems appropriate. Only in matters of the highest importance will Starfleet overrule a captain's judgment. The tractor beam is an electronic grappling hook. The tractor beam is a manipulative force field. It allows us to grab and pull another object in space equivalent of a grappling hook and towing line. The tractor beam emitter is a small device that is tucked into its niche at the aft end of the ship's keel facing rearward. It can be lowered to swivel 360 degrees for special requirements. Transporters allow us to beam anywhere instantly. As in the original series, the transporter beam... I gotta warn you, Gene Roddenberry has a lot to say about transporter beams, so bear with me. As in the original series, the transporter beam is a device which allows us to instantaneously transmit crew or cargo from one location to another. A transporter effect reverse angle will sometimes be used, which will be the optical effect as seen from the perspective of a person actually being beamed somewhere. Again, I'm not sure if they ever actually used that in the show, but if they did, they used it sparingly, I think. To continue, the Enterprise has a total of 20 personnel and 5 cargo transporters. A person being transported from the ship must stand on the transporter platform while the command energize is given. To transport from away, the individual uses his communicator to request beam me up, which allows the starship transporter chief to lock onto that person's position. The transporter beam is primarily a line-of-sight device. Its range is about 40,000 kilometers, 24,000 miles, since most synchronous orbits will be this high. The beam converts matter into energy, beams that energy to a fixed point, then reconverts it back into its original matter structure. And here, Roddenberry again repeats his line about 40,000 kilometers, blah, blah, blah. To be transported from the ship to the surface of a planet, we need the landing coordinates. The passenger stands on one of the lights of the transporter platform, and when he, she is ready, says, Energize. To transport from the surface of a planet to the ship, an individual needs a communicator. He contacts the ship, announces one to beam up, and stands away from the other people and objects. The communicators function as locators for the transporter beam. Without the communicator or an alternative method of precisely locating an individual, we cannot beam him or her up to the ship. Decontamination. It will be established that the transporter is designed to filter out viruses, bacteria, and other alien matter that might be picked up on an away visit. The transporter beam control also detects bacteria and parasitical life forms and will also detect illicit weapons, drugs, and other forms of contraband material being beamed aboard, if these items have been programmed into the transporter memory. Tricorders are portable scanning devices. A tricorder is a small Walkman-sized device. Does anybody, anybody out there know what a Walkman is? Anybody remember that? Well, too bad. Small Walkman sized device which is capable of scanning and recording information about alien landscapes, cities, and objects. A tricorder is part of the standard equipment for all away team missions. And yet, for some reason, he does not tell us where the tri comes from. I guess alien landscapes, cities, and objects? That's where the tricorder thing comes from? But that doesn't make much sense. Anyway, I digress. Turbo lifts let us travel horizontally and vertically throughout the ship. Turbolift looks like, and is used like, an elevator, but it travels horizontally too. Turboshaft network extends throughout the entire Starship, and it is possible to travel from any point in the ship to any other via Turbolift. To use the Turbolift, a crew member simply enters the compartment and speaks his or her destination aloud. Example, sickbay or bridge. The ship's computer will instantly compute the most direct route and send the Turbolift to the exit nearest the desired destination. Because the ship's computer is constantly monitoring the daily routines of our people, there will be many times when it will know exactly where to deliver the Turbolift's passengers without their even having to say. But if it does need instructions, it will ask for them. Here's an interesting point. It's given with no explanation, just this one phrase. Visual contact is rare in space. Remember that. Warp drive lets us travel faster than light. The two huge nacelles at the back of the ship contain our warp drive engines. These engines allow the Enterprise to travel at many times the speed of light. Warp drive speed is measured in warp factors. Warp factor 1 is the speed of light. 669,600,000 miles per hour. Warp 10 is the physical limit of the universe. Beyond that, normal time-space relationships do not exist, and a ship at that velocity may simply cease to exist. Generally, the highest speed the Enterprise will cruise at is Warp 6, which measures one light year per hour. The higher speeds up to Warp 9.9 are available to us, but with a commensurate drain on our power supplies and a correspondingly limited ability to maintain that higher speed. New Section, Star Trek Weaponry Phasers Our away team members and our ship's security squads are equipped with two models of phaser, The hand phaser is a small but very powerful weapon. It is the same size as a pocket flashlight, but it packs incredible power ranging from stun to the destruction of a small space vessel. The pistol phaser is a pistol-sized weapon with correspondingly greater power. The phaser beam is a high-intensity beam of phased coherent light. In actual usage, it scrambles the flow of electrical currents and light fiber currents. At low speeds, the phasers only stun a living being or disrupt a piece of machinery momentarily. It is a standing order that our phasers are always set to stun unless otherwise directed by a superior officer. Enterprise Phasers The ship's phasers are located all around the ship's exterior and have all the power of the Enterprise's matter-antimatter engines behind them. They are quite capable of disintegrating another galaxy-class vessel, or even a small moon if necessary. Because the phasers are beams of phase light, they cannot be used at warp speeds. This is why we have photon torpedoes. The photon torpedo is perhaps the single most powerful weapon available to the Enterprise. It is a tiny piece of antimatter held in a magnetic bottle, i.e. the black casket we saw in the Star Trek movies. A photon torpedo is built around a miniature warp engine and can be used to track and destroy an enemy vessel while either it and or the Enterprise are traveling at warp speeds. This is all new to me. This is fascinating. There is a single photon tube forward and one firing aft. Each tube contains 10 fully activated torpedoes. Next main section. The ship's computer. Enterprise NCC-1701D is controlled by the most sophisticated computer system ever installed in a starship. It has access to the entire library of recorded human knowledge and can present any desired information almost instantly upon request. The computer can be accessed through any console. Indeed, any ship's workstation can be reprogrammed to be exactly the kind of console needed for a specific task. Information can be displayed on any screen in the ship. Access to the computer is not controlled by the consoles. It is controlled by individual personal clearances. The computer speaks with a pleasant, non-emotional female voice. Intelligent and articulate conversations are possible with this computer, and it is not uncommon to see a crew member engaged in an interactive conversation with the computer, which can behave as if it is a fully sentient being. The computer monitors the location of every individual aboard the Enterprise through his-her communicator, and it arranges all communications as necessary. Likewise, the computer automatically monitors all logs, including those generated on away missions. We will see that the ship's communications computers are so intelligent they may be addressed in almost any way. The terms show me or tell me are often used, but the computer is as capable of deciphering needs as any human. Our computer can also provide a wide variety of entertainment. Play me is frequently used to request music. In this particular case, the computer might respond, Please indicate the orchestra desired, or conducted by whom, or played in what hall, The computer can also be directly addressed. Computer, talk to me about the history of the Ferengi Alliance. This will initiate a conversation with the computer. The computer is likely to ask, what exactly do you wish to determine? And this will initiate an inquiry into the matter. Restricted access. The ship's computer is capable of instantaneous voice identification. Should a person request information that he or she is not cleared for, the computer will respond politely, I'm sorry, you're not cleared for that information. Should a person who is cleared for that information request it while an unauthorized person is in the room, the computer will point that out as well. And that is it for the Writer's Guide. The only additional information is a list of scientific terminology defining such concepts as moon, orbit, galaxy, so here's the deal. If you have listened to these past 3 episodes of Far Fetched, you have basically completed the coursework at Starfleet Academy. I'm not kidding. And you've you've aced it. So go on out there. Go where no one has gone before. Don't come back until you do. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you'll come back for more if you feel so inclined. This is Mark O'Connell and you've been listening to Far Fetched. See you next time.